I know I need to start thinking about a succession plan, but I don't even know where to start. If this is something that you've ever thought about, stay tuned. We're going to talk all about succession planning. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. Deciding when and how to exit our business is one of the most difficult challenges we're going to face. There's a lot of truths we must face when creating a strategy for our exit. First of all, there's a finite number of years that we are on this planet. That's not a fun thing for anybody to think about. And unless we're going to work to the very end, we will have to retire someday, which is a signal that we're closer to the end of our journey than the beginning. This is just not a very fun thing to think about. So that's one of the many reasons we put this off. Um, Another big one is stepping away from our business for many is stepping away completely from your identity. This is what you've been about for 10, 20, 50 years. Um, Selling or passing over ownership or control of your company to somebody else uh, really feels like we're losing who we are. And that's not a fun thing to think about either. It's not a fun thing to go through for many people. We think our business has a value and the buyer is going to think the business has a value and they're probably not going to be the same because this is our baby. We've created this thing from the ground up and the person who's buying it doesn't have an, the, the appreciation for that that equates to dollars. Um, knowing that there's going to be a differential there that, to navigate through and knowing that we're going to have an emotional journey to go through. Um, again, that's another reason why this is just something we just put off. It's not a very pleasant thing. Um, it's possible that nobody will even want our baby. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to think about, but it's a possibility. Just because we built it doesn't mean somebody's going to want to buy it. Uh, another thing we have to face, especially if we've kept all the decision-making to ourselves, internal buyers, people, you know, key employees we want to turn the company over to or sell to someday may not be prepared to run the business for a few years. Um, another thing we will learn that is, is not a fun thing to, to factor in is uh, the bank is probably not about to finance this purchase to somebody who has never run a business before. So if we have to sell to an, if we want to sell to an internal buyer, we're probably going to have to finance the deal ourselves, uh, which is not a great endeavor for a lot of folks. So uh, based on those things and some others, uh, succession planning is often pushed the back burner until the business owner decides one day, I want to retire in a couple of years. The problem is, Getting a succession plan in place in a couple of years is not very likely. The faster we try to do it, the less value we we can hope to get from the company. We have to make decisions based on speed, not not value, and that really creates some problems. So waiting until we have a couple of years to begin working on something that could take seven to 10 years to to fully get in place uh, is a real problem. So Understand that succession planning under good circumstances is a seven to 10 year endeavor. Uh, unless you plan to sell outright and you already know who the buyer is, 
Um, that's what you're looking at. It takes time. It takes time to find the right people. And once you find them, it takes time to train them. They have to know everything you know to be able to fully run the company. And if they're an internal buyer, to be able to, to buy the company and to keep it running and thriving at least long enough to pay you because uh, you're going to have to finance the deal probably. Um, that takes a long time to teach somebody everything you know about how to run your business. Um, on the flip side, you know, we can we can sell to an exter- external person. So um, where do you start? The first thing is just take a breath. Understand we're going to have conversations in, in succession planning that or you're going to have conversations, I should say, dealing with succession planning that are just not fun. You know, we, we have to talk about the fact that we're not going to live to be 500 years old. That alone is not, you know, something that most of us look forward to talking about. Um, and succession planning is kind of an acknowledgement of that, that uh, most of us just don't want to spend our days thinking about that kind of stuff. So step one is just take a breath. Um, understand that for succession planning, there are not great options out there. There are not a multitude of fantastic ways to do this. I will tell you right now, you're going to end up just choosing the one that's best for you from a list of things that are not awesome. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, they're just not fantastic options. Uh, even if you're going to sell to a family member, like you're going to leave this to your kids. There's just things that, that are going to come up that are just not fun. So, uh, but we have to deal with this because if we don't, we're going to end up shorting ourselves a lot of money. So, um, Step one, I would say, in in succession planning is recognizing that we think that there's four options, but ultimately there's only two. Um, The four options there are essentially are you just close the thing down one day and liquidate the assets. I doubt anyone would want to do that. Um, The company probably has a whole lot more value than just the assets and the phone number. Um, You certainly could if you wanted to avoid all this hassle. That's one path. I don't know anybody personally who'd want to take that that path, though. Uh, the next one we think about as being an option, but really isn't, we're just kind of delaying the inevitable, is becoming an absentee owner. And we're going to let somebody else run the company while we just stay away and we move to Florida and um, um, put our feet up. Ultimately, though, you still either have to sell to an internal buyer or an external buyer. That's really the two options we have. Um, even if you're the absentee owner, at some point you're going to have to sell. Or if you wait until the very end, your estate is going to have to figure it out, which creates a whole new set of problems we're not even going to get into. Um, I would not recommend that for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, So we're going to assume that you're not going to do that, which means you really have two options. You're going to sell to somebody within your company or you're going to sell to somebody outside your company. Um, And the speed at which you do that may vary. You could do it all at once, certainly. You could do it in phases. Um, you can sell X percent per year, uh, especially if you're dealing with an internal uh, buyer. There's a variety of ways you can do it, but ultimately you're going to sell it to somebody inside or you're going to sell it to somebody outside. That's really what it's going to come down to. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, step two is re- recognizing that whether you sell to an internal person or an outsider, both require that you do the same things to prepare just for different reasons. For example, one of the things you're going to have to do is get serious uh, about, um, uh, excuse me, you're going to have to get serious about uh, before proceeding is uh, getting all your processes documented. Uh, if you're selling to an insider, this gives them a much better chance of succeeding. Again, you're going to have to finance this deal yourself. If you're selling to an insider, 
This makes sure that they will stay in business long enough to get you paid uh, for this asset that they've just purchased. Um, you want to make sure that if you're going to sell to somebody and, and you have to structure this deal where they can afford to pay you, and uh, but you get paid in a reasonable amount of time to, to make some money while you're you know retiring or whatever, um, you don't want to assume that you're going to retire and then they go out of business in three years because they didn't know how to do things or they weren't serious about something that really matters. So getting your processes documented to allow this person to be successful is a pretty important uh, piece. If you're selling to an outsider, you got to have documented processes because that means they're buying an asset um, that's going to function just fine without you. They don't want to buy a job. They want to buy as close as they can. They want to buy a money printing machine. <laughs> that's what they want. They do not want, I mean, why would you buy a company that would require you to come in and work full time if you didn't have to. Um, if you're going to do that, you might as well start your own business. Why would you buy somebody else's? Uh, for most people, that's just not going to make sense. So understand that you've got to get serious about your processes, no matter which path you're going to choose. Uh, step three, you got to decide if you're, if you're going to be looking at more likely selling to an internal buyer or an external buyer, which one's better for you? Um, like most things, this may or is even likely to change over time. Um, certainly, as you explore different options, some are going to be so repulsive that you're just not going to like them at all. You're gonna, it's going to completely change your mind on things. Um, but there's a few things you could ask to, to kind of narrow down um, which path is most likely for you. Um, you know, but keep in mind, if you plan to sell to an insider a key employee or something like that, but an outsider shows up with a check for 20% over what your asking price was going to be, you're probably going to hammer the check and move along, right? Um, it's okay for things to change in this kind of thing. And this is no exception. It's okay for things to change. We just want to have a tentative direction so we can stay motivated to get things done. Again, processes is something we have to have a motivation to stay committed to. Um, but we also have to kind of know what our long game strategy is so we can make other decisions along the way to support that, that end goal. Um, some things to consider when you're deciding what's more important to you between legacy and money. If legacy matters more, you're probably going to be more likely to sell to an internal person because that's if that's a great story. Um, if money matters more, you're probably more likely to sell to an outsider because if they're acquiring an, a competitor, you know, you're selling to a competitor um, it probably has more value. Uh, you probably can get more money than if you sell to somebody on the inside. Um, so legacy versus money. That's an important question to ask. Um, another really important one is, will I have people on my team who could buy the company when I want to sell? Are they going to have credit that is you know decent? Uh, the bank may help with some of this. The bank is not likely to finance the whole thing, but they might help with some. Uh, they're not going to do that if the person has terrible credit. Uh, that's for sure. Um, are they going to be able to learn the skills necessary to run a business? It's different running a business like your own than just maintaining it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months while the boss is away. That's a different thing. Are they going to have the skills and abilities to run this business on, on their own completely without you around? Um, the next thing is we have people on the team who want to buy the company and a very uh, close uh, cousin to this question is, even if the people on your team want to buy the company, will their spouses be on board with them wanting to buy the company? That's a question that most people um, don't consider, I think. 
and it's one that's very important. Uh, you could have an employee who's gung-ho about buying the company, and their spouse just wants nothing to do with it. They don't want the headache. They don't want the hours. They don't want their spouse being away from home that long. Um, they don't want the employee problems. Uh, who knows? There's all kinds of reasons. Uh, that's a factor. You got you to gotta think about that. Another question you could ask is, are companies like mine desirable to outsiders or are uh, competitor acquisitions desirable or do they happen frequently in my industry? These are great questions to pose to your key advisors. I'll tell you right now, their answer is probably going to sound something like, it depends. And you've got to kind of narrow down and say, okay, based on what my company looks like, based on what my company will probably look like in 10 years, based on having my processes reasonably documented, and no credit issues, you know, et cetera. We're, we're a B plus company or B minus company at least, or whatever. Is this something that is, is likely to happen and, and try to get them at least to give you an honest answer of what they think um, based on their experience, your banker, your CPA, and your attorney, uh, if they've been around for any length of time at all, have dealt with acquisitions. Um, they can tell you the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, there's plenty of all three for sure. But they can also tell you how likely it is that these things happen in your industry. You can also uh, ask people in your industry association. You can, um, you know, there's there's ways to figure this out. But we got to find out uh, if I want to sell to somebody externally. That's not really a thing in my industry. I got to know that because I if that's not if that's not an option, I got to figure something else out. Uh, step four: Get familiar with how valuations are determined in your industry. One of the most shocking things business owners find out when it's too late is how much their company is really worth. Many times people go through uh, their business ownership journey thinking that they, because their company does $5 million a year in revenue, that means their company is worth $10 million. And it just does not work that way. It's not even close to that. For most companies, it's nowhere near that. Um, I would say that on average, people un- overestimate the value of their company by between 25 and 50%, sometimes way more. Uh, again, I remember one particular conversation where somebody, where they thought their company was going to be worth three times revenue, uh, three times the annual revenue. And this, and once, once we were began talking about that, like, there is no way. I mean, that, that, that would be nice. <laughs> There's no question. That ain't how it works though. And that, but their whole retirement was predicated on getting that number. It, it really, um, it really hurt them. So let's not do that. Let's not figure that out at the end. Um, usually in service industries, it's going to be a multiplier of EBITDA. Um, sometimes it could be a multiplier of revenue. Um, if EBITDA is a term you've not ever heard, heard before, EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Essentially, that's your net income number at the bottom of your profit and loss statement um, before any adjustments you would make when filing your taxes. So you don't figure in interest, you don't figure out your depreciation, all the things that the IRS asks you about when you figure out out your taxable income, you disregard all that stuff and what's your net profit number. Sometimes you'll be able to factor in owner salaries and things like that um, to help bump that number a little bit. Um, But generally speaking, it's going to be a multiplier of EBITDA, sometimes a multiplier of revenue. It is not going to be three times your revenue, though. I can tell you that uh, almost certainly. Uh, Step five would be pick a tentative retirement date. Again, you can change your mind on this, but we got to have something to start with and back up 10 years. That is the point in which you need to have a tentative plan in place or at least a direction to start. So if you plan on retiring at age 60, 
and you're 47, that means you got three years until you, you hit 50 and you know that you need to have a direction. We need to know what's our plan. Again, it could change, but what do we think is most likely to happen for us? Again, this takes seven to 10 years. I'm sorry. You may encounter people who you want to do this, internal buyers who you want to do this. You think they'd be great and they just don't want to. And you got to start over from square one again. That's just the way it works with this stuff. They're they are very complicated legal, tax, money issues that you have to navigate with people. And sometimes they just say, it's not worth it. I don't want to do it. You know, one of the things you're going to encounter is there's a time in, in which you want to get a lot of money. Let's say you're going to sell to an internal buyer. Um, you want to get paid because you've built this thing. They want to get paid because they're acquiring a bunch of skills, which makes them a good candidate to do this. There comes a point where there's not enough money to pay both of you the money you want. You both have to give a little bit or one of you has to give a lot. And that could end up being a deal breaker. You could get all the way to that point and then have to start over again. This is a long-term endeavor. Just be aware of that. Um, if you rush it and you wait, um, the less value you're going to have, especially if you're selling to an outsider, because you're going to have to just take whatever offer they give and meet the time frame that you have. And now the time becomes a bigger factor than the money. Uh, so just understand if you rush this, um, it's going to cost you some dollars. Uh, and the, if you rush it and you're going, selling it to an internal buyer, the less confident you can be that they're going to make it. Uh, if you haven't had enough time to teach them everything they need to know, which is essentially everything you need, you know, uh, and you don't have your processes dialed in and, and, and things like that, they may not make it long enough to get you paid. So start talking with your key advisors about the options and the path. You have uh, options you have to choose from well before that 10-year date. And just again, understand this is a long undertaking. This is not going to happen quickly. The more you try to cut corners and shorten the time, the more you're going to cost yourself. So uh, to summarize, step one, just recognize that there's really only two options. You're either going to sell to somebody inside or sell to somebody outside. Um, recognize whether you're selling to an inside or outsider. Both require you to do essentially the same things. We've talked about processes here. There's plenty of other things you have to do. You have to do the same thing either way for different reasons. But you just have to keep you have to keep plugging away towards making this a saleable asset. Um, you got to decide if an internal or external buyer is more likely or better for you. Yeah, get familiar with how your valuations are determined in your industry, so you can you can know you're making sound financial decisions. And you got to pick a tentative date and work back ten years, and know that that's kind of the date you need to have a direction to get there. You got to start talking with your key advisors about the options you have, and uh, kind of what the deal breakers would be for you. So. That's it for this week. Um, a lot to take in with succession planning. And uh, again, it's not it's not a super fun topic, but um, it's it can be an expensive thing to, to try to cut corners on. So it's important that we get out in front of this one. Um, anyhow, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being a part of our podcast. We sure appreciate it. As always, if you know somebody who could benefit from this, who's a business owner in a service industry, please feel free to share this with them. Or if you have a couple minutes, give us a rating and a review. Uh, certainly would appreciate that. Those are the metrics that uh, go into helping a podcast grow. And we're hoping to help as many folks as possible. So thanks again for your time. Hope you have a great week. And we'll talk to you all soon.